Welcome to the Game People Podcast. As I'm sure you're aware by now, each week we get some of our niche video game reviewers to look at a particular video game. Come and join the gang of reviewing artisans. See it from every angle. This week we're going to look at Halo 3, and I'm joined by Alex Beach, David Kenson, and John Seddon. So I've got with me a team of writers from the website to help us dig into Halo 3. Um, but rather than me talk about them, let me get them to introduce themselves. Alex. Hi, I'm Alex Beach and I'm the Scared Gamer on GamePeople.co.uk and uh, well, I write about horror games and games with a scary or horrific aspects. David, how about your sports game reviews? Hello, I'm David Kenson. I contribute various things to Game People, including the Sports Gamer column, in which I focus on the relationship between real-life experience and gaming. And John? Hi, John Seddon. I write Dress Up Gamer. I'm interested in the role you play within games. And that leaves me, um, Paul Govan, and I look after the Family Gamer section, which will use games from a family perspective. So before we get started with our discussion, let's try and explain what Halo is. So, Halo 3 is a first-person shooter, um, so you, you play from the perspective of your character, looking at straight out on a battlefield. Some distinctive things that make it different from games like um, Call of Duty uh, would be the fact you can wield two weapons at the same time and it is known for having uh, excellent AI enemies, strong multiplayer um, community online. But what have I missed? I think the other thing that Halo really had going for it, at least when it launched, was that it was the only game really worth owning on the Xbox, so it got a lot of fans that way. And Halo 3 was perhaps the culmination of um, developments that we'd seen in Halo 1 in terms of controls and multiplayer in Halo 2. They all sort of came together to be this sort of super offering of the first person shooter that really had everything um, in Halo 3. So there you go. But before we get into our discussion, let's take a quick musical break. <laughs> There you go, in a nutshell, but let's dig into the game and actually see what we think about it individually. Well, Halo was kind of a, a special game for me in the sense that it was really the last game, the last series of games that I played couch co-op with friends the whole way through. The first one I played at university with a friend, the next one I played with one set of flatmates in one apartment, and then people started visiting me at my next apartment to play Halo 3 with me. So each and every one I had this kind of consistent partner playing through the game with, and that made it very special for me, it made it a very different experience to most games that I was playing because I never really went online and the majority of games around that period started shunning split screen gaming so... So couch co-op, kind of you mean, by couch co-op you're talking about um, playing locally with someone on the same console? Yeah, local co-op. 
mm-hmm. yes, rather than the same split screen gaming like GoldenEye before it back on the N64 but really the number of games offering that come the Xbox and the PlayStation 2 started to drop off as ga- games tried to keep their visual fidelity and obviously rendering two images made that less of a possibility so there were far fewer games offered that and with Halo being so popular more people were also willing to come around and play it with me Mm-hmm. which I suspect was also a big help. So that was really why the series sticks in my mind, perhaps more than a lot of other first-person shooters that were offered. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd sort of mirror that um, experience as well. Um, particularly when you, know, when you get to Halo 3, if you look around to see what games offer something like local co-op, and if you also put in maybe the fact you want to get a couple of consoles in the same room and link them up and play against each other, you're down to a handful and... You know, Halo Three is this sort of um, AAA title that still that still does that. Um, uh, but what about what about that playing together in the same space, Alex? W- what about that was so special? Um, well, I've never been a huge online gamer, but really, just the social interaction, the getting around and being able to go and get it, a beer and pizza together and enjoy it that way mm-hmm. is something that's always been I've been very fond of. I'm just yeah. being in the same room. I find a lot more enjoyable just to be able to have that kind of back and forth, the, the hitting each other when one of you makes a mistake, that kind of thing. Yeah, elbowing them in um, the ribs just that, when they're going to shoot you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's just, also... I just mentioned Halo 3 as well, which was important because that was the first one to really actively include co-op. Mm-hmm. All the others, it was just like you were clones of the same person. It was a bit weird in cutscenes, but by 3, it became far more of an active role. There were different characters, which was a change for um, the series. Um, so, I mean, you sort of see a development in the games that each each time... Halo game is released. Obviously, the expectation is very high, um, but they 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 seem to meet that by bringing something quite unique. So in Halo One, we we saw the sort of innovation of, as we saw mentioned, the first time a console game really gets first-person shooter controls right, um, and it gets widely adopted by a big fa- a big fan base. Um, then in Halo Two, really, we're seeing sort of the basis of what becomes Xbox Live and their multiplayer matchmaking. Um, service and then we get to to Halo 3 and again they come with both the co-op but also then the ability for the community to create their own levels. So going back to those controls then which we all sort of recognise as the first time it was nailed. I think so. Uh, it wasn't just the dual stick aspect of it was it? They did something sort of very clever in terms of auto aim and... Well they did a couple of things that I think were special that I mean I, I'm not an expert at first person shooters and certainly the auto-aim was present but I mean perhaps because I didn't notice is what makes it so fantastic right? Mm. Yeah (laughs) Um, exactly but they also were very aware of the pacing that was needed they set a very slow pace for the Master Chief the lead character of the game that was slightly more considered than the kind of frantic PC games you were seeing at the time That's certainly true because I mean the original sort of Quake and Doom and, and games like that on PC, um, you felt like you were essentially skating around on the surface. You were sort of very much on roller skates the whole whole way through, and you could you could turn sort of you know within a millisecond to shoot behind you. And um, Halo was certainly a much slower pace than that, which I guess was important because of the precision on the sticks. I think that's interesting what Alex said earlier about the fact that it had auto aim, but you weren't aware of it actually doing that, so it was, there was enough there to make the sticks usable. 
because to aim at a target with these two analog sticks was actually really difficult. But the, the game assisted assisted you enough so that you could you could you could do it. But you felt like it was still you shooting. Um, yeah, I think it's very real. It it probably wasn't the first game that did the auto aim thing on the sticks either. Mm. But it was the first game where you didn't really notice it was doing it, and it just made you feel, you know, like a highly skilled soldier. Although, yeah, it was a, it was a skill you learn, wasn't it? Because I remember. Oh sure. Um, David, you were saying how that co-op experience that Alex is talking about, playing with someone who's much better than you, um, it becomes obvious that they, they they've learnt this game, and there's a degree of skill to it, and so trying to keep up with them. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I played in terms of the first game, Combat Evolved. I mostly played it um, couch co-op with my then housemate, who was really, really good at it. And yeah, I mean, he would just rope me into playing these these co-op games, essentially, so he could experience all the aspects of the game, really. And it basically just involved me walking along behind him, not really doing anything, hardly even encountering any opponents because he'd already slaughtered them all. Um, and sometimes just getting lost and not really knowing where he was and being walked along behind him and him just sort of saying, yeah, no, this way, yeah. no, left, left, no, no, look at the radar, look, that's where I am, come and find me, and just, yeah. <laughs> so that was quite a hard introduction to Halo for you, but um, I know you went on to play uh, yeah, multiplayer, because uh, I played yeah, a bit well, with it, you. It how, how did that? saying about the controls, because I never considered myself to be a fan of first-person shooters and although that was a rather brutal introduction to, to Halo it was the first game I played that I felt like there was genuinely room because of the way the controls were because of the way the pacing was I felt like there was genuinely room for me to learn to improve my technique and it, and it was actually worth persisting with whereas other games I played like that it became obvious that um, it just wasn't for me and I wasn't going to be able to get to a competitive standard whereas with Halo I felt like actually I could the precision is there, I could learn to do this and eventually, I i mean I'm not brilliant at it, but eventually I did get to a standard where at least I could complete, compete in um, multiplayer games and so on. It's quite interesting hearing you say that um, from a, a sports perspective because it, it is a game that it doesn't feel totally sort of incredulous to say that this is, this is a skill that you learn and that there's a genuine competitive side to it and you could go away after a multiplayer game and feel like oh yeah these these aspects of my gameplay that I need to work on um, I remember after you know after sessions where I was completely trounced thinking oh yeah I must remember to aim for the head or I must remember to you know to, to use a combination of weapons um, and things like that so there was quite a level of depth and another moment when um, I realized oh there's two there's two levels of shields um, that each each player has, and so you you need to deplete the sort of energy shield that protects their sort of outer skin before you can actually go in with a gun that's firing bullets um, if you're going to be effectively killing them. So there's all these sort of levels that that built in that I think reflect what you're saying that, that there was quite a lot of skill to Halo and perhaps more than other games at the time. Yeah, I, d I definitely think that. And as we were saying, room to create your own sort of tactical approach, really, which many of the other games don't really offer you. The Halo is perhaps some of the first games to introduce a very natural way of learning it. There w wasn't really a tutorial that introduced things. They put you in the skin of the Master Chief and then had you going through a system checks, mm, basically, yeah, and they'd have you look up, look down, and then say, does that feel right? And that would work out if you wanted inverted controls or not. Mm -hmm. And it was this very fluid introduction that took you through the game and the story without 
being wrote. Yeah, and it's interesting that they did that, and they were quite happy to let you just encounter the world. Um, like they didn't tell you about the different levels of shields, unless I maybe skipped that bit. I don't think I did, and they didn't tell you that much about how to how to sort of um, drive the vehicles. Um, but you had enough to get you started. It kind of talks to the work, the way the developers introduced the world to you, though. I mean, it, they left a lot of it open for you to explore. There are the hints there, but when you were thrown into the game, and I guess unless you read the instruction manual, which I think this was about the time everybody quit doing that kind of thing, um, you really had to work out some of the smaller aspects yourself without the game explicitly telling it to you. And I guess that was quite polarising for the audience, but also maybe quite telling that sort of Bungie knew that really the people who were going to be buying this game were more hardcore gamers who would um, persist and you know, work it out and talk amongst themselves about, you know, did have you discovered this this secret or, you know, if you go there and do this then you can unlock some new weapons, that sort of stuff. It's an interesting risk though in terms of it being the flagship franchise for the Xbox. I mean they were in that sense they really were pinning their colours to the mast, weren't they, about what kind of gamer they mm. thought was going to was going to be able to persist with, with this title. It's certainly very different to um the sort of player they're going after with Connect uh, and the more the the much broader games that we're seeing sort of coming out as looking back at like the Halo three and before it, you can see how far they've come in terms of who they're who they're targeting. Yeah, I guess I guess back then that two audiences didn't really exist in yeah. massive numbers. It's sort of before the Wii, wasn't it, I guess. Yeah, and it was probably it was even before some of um Sony's uh SingStar and that kind of casual gaming hmm. so you know they probably only could see one one type of market really hmm. but it, it still was unusual for games to be so non-didactic wasn't it I mean usually even in I mean my experience is limited but even in the the other first-person shooters I played at the time there was more of an idea of well um, you know this is what you do and a kind of hand-holding mentality hmm. it's they were very corridor based I mean you had Halo Deliberately creating these like battle theaters, these huge areas that were like you were funneled into one area and then it opened up again like an hourglass again and again because they wanted to get you into these huge dioramas where you could really have let the AI run rampant on you because that was one of the other things the game excelled at. So you, you mentioned AI, I have to jump in because I love, yeah, yeah. I love <laughs> I the like, AI <laughs> in Halo. Um, just that sense that you are encountering. Uh, a real opponent that obviously you know that it's just um, in the single player you know that it's just computer generated but both with the, the the voice work of say like the grunts the little sort of triangular guys that you could were sort of the cannon fodder uh, of the battlefield or the, or the larger brutes each of them had a very distinct personality not just in how they sounded or looked but in how they behaved so as you encountered them on the battlefield you you learned to respond to them in different ways um, and I always loved that and, but then in Halo 3 there was a moment where I'd I'd had a particular encounter in one of those sort of hourglass moments um, and I I'd, had died and I'd failed that part of the mission I could pause the game and replay it in, as, as part of their theatre mode and I could take the camera back to behind where the enemies were waiting for me to sort of come at them and see how they were moving and see how they positioned themselves and there was this this amazing sort of chatter about how they would how they were talking about my advance on them and that they would try and flank me and they were saying one was saying he was going to be using a grenade or get the bubble shield up Um, and 
it seemed an incredible amount of detail to put into something which you may never never see. And it reminded me of the sort of the intricate ceiling work in in sort of old cathedrals or old buildings that uh, often a craftsman will pay that sort of attention to detail, even though people will very very rarely even see it. Um, and I just thought that was amazing to have a video game that was actually committed to the experience. I don't it speaks to the attention to detail that Bungie were willing to commit to it. They obviously knew it was their flagship game and they poured so much attention to so many aspects. I'm sure the earlier games had nothing like that in, but they really wanted to utilise everything they could to show off the power and just their own ambition, I think. they were. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's sort of two sides to the AI argument. One is the kind of the realism of the way that the, the AI... F- thought and and responded then there's also the aspect of the kind of the physical side of the ai which i guess i'm more interested in how the how the bodies moved how corporeal it felt and for me that was always a somewhat of a letdown with halo i never really believed in the physicality of it as much as um some other games that i would consider to be similar and that also meshed with the design for me to some extent i was never really that happy with the way that it looked it, i never felt particularly drawn in even though the narrative is is strong and as we were saying the ai is is complex and detailed i always felt there was something of a barrier to me being really absorbed into the game um, and i think it was something to do with that the, the moment of the collision between kind of physicality and the aesthetic that for some reason just didn't fit for me bungie almost seemed to have some some real strengths which were the things we talked about and but then they had some sort of real weaknesses which i think it was only with the 360 halo game that um people really sort of started taking notice of those so sort of as you said it's it's the movement of the of the characters and the enemies you know didn't look particularly real and i think that's something they've you know come to terms with now because now i think with reach it's the first time they're going to use motion capture the quality of the faces and the facial animation was was always pretty dreadful but in Halo 3 and ODST then it was really become noticeable when all, everything else starts looking so good so yeah I think it's sort of like a real sort of there's real extremes in their games but actually the game itself is so good that you know in the main we just gloss over those other things and that in itself is interesting given the amount of weight that other franchises seem to give to aesthetics and the kind of epic movie length trailers that are there to convince us of how realistic the the graphical portrayals are and all that kind of stuff it, it's interesting that halo could kind of create this cult following without really being able to make a claim to that sort of thing it was as if they were aware of that because almost sort of tacked on to the end of their development they seem to sort of just purchase these very cutting-edge uh, niche um, videos uh, whereby sort of real-world recreation of elements of the Halo universe and then you had this hugely imaginative little sort of filmic shorts whereby you had sort of survivors of the battles looking back on dioramas um, of, the, of the events that had just happened talking in sort of moved terms and really alluding to sort of uh, like a, almost like a World War Two Auschwitz sort of survivor looking back at the camps, um, and you know they use these things to sort of pull the pull the heartstrings, and it seemed to sort of be to to buy in that epic story that was perhaps absent from the game itself. It, it also kind of speaks to what Microsoft, how Microsoft were trying to position Halo at that point. It was the biggest. Uh, 
at the time it was the biggest entertainment launch in history the whole media surrounding it very much played into them trying to capture the attention of everybody not mm. just gamers they really wanted to draw more people in it was really a big move to position the xbox as more than just a game a place for games somehow it was really trying to draw in a kind of a whole new crowd to that it was like it was it was changing from a game release to sort of a, a media event like a like a film launch i think i mean you already mentioned the kind of um auschwitz style references and i think that for me personally that came across quite um quite strongly and i i don't know there was just something about that that struck me as really inappropriate i can't quite recall in detail exactly what it was but i remember being left with that feeling of yeah is this really appropriate ground to be going over for this kind of um promotional material really well, i mean it is it's, just a video it's, game it's always one of those th things because i think it's where we are in the video game um, evolution where whenever we cross over into things that have been dealt with by other mediums for years you know controversial things we always sort of like you know step back and sort of say well I don't know how comfortable do we feel and, and it's not even probably like an intellectual question it's more of an emotional response yeah, yeah and it, it's it's not necessarily a, a bad thing of course for something to be offensive or for it to feel uncomfortable um, as you say and that's often a part of a of a the the transition within a particular medium. We're sort of touching on now the the sort of the um, aesthetic that that's wrapped around this sort of strong core gameplay that they became known for. So, what about other elements that that sort of um, create the experience in terms of the music or or the general art style? For me, uh, the the whole orchestral you know score for. For Halo, and it was it was possibly the first time that I'd plugged a console into my surround sound system, hmm. and so that was the, you know the first time you really got that kind of epicness of it. I think it really did add to it, you know, that when the strings start up when you like enter the battlefield, and you know that that was a new emotion. Some of that music used within Halo is still very evocative, and still instantly you know, takes you back to that experience. Yeah, I like what you're saying there, John, because um, another moment for the game was just when it first loaded up and it put up that, you know, the halo uh, ring it, and the yeah. orchestral, you know, sort <laughs> so of... Almost and the Gregorian chanting underneath. Yeah. yeah, really, you know, really sort of grown-up sounds. And so when it started, if there was someone else in the room, it didn't feel like, oh, I'm playing a video game. It's like, oh, what's this? This is interesting. There's like an engagement because they, it, it was being sort of pitched like something meaningful it was incredibly powerful just to get your blood pumping at times i remember going through the final section of the game in the warthog in one and three yeah um and i enjoyed driving the warthogs to start with but you're going down this tunnel there's explosions everywhere there's things going off around you and really it should be laughable because you've got like this river dancey tune going on underneath you and violins and not quite what you're used to in a video game it's not that hard rock of like doom or quake but it really tied it all together really nicely with anything that experience if you broke it down you could probably say well that that's a bit daft and that's a bit laughable and but it's i think it's the way they put those things together and that that really does sort of transcend the the daftness of it sometimes yeah so it's creating a landscape isn't it the one thing that i find interesting is that because of obviously dvds and cd optical media has re retained the same level of audio fidelity as the games progressed that remained very similar I mean you always had the speech from the grunts and everything but the graphics which were restrained on the original Xbox obviously by processing power they had to carry that through into the later game so it really 
I think by three, the kind of visual style they'd gone for was starting to show its age a little bit more, whereas the audio retained a freshness that was even there in the original. And perhaps that goes back on David's point about an uncomfortable sort of feeling towards the aesthetic and the, the look of the characters. Even the buildings and things, it took a very, I guess, polygonal approach to everything that I guess was just an artifact of the earlier games, because by three they could certainly have done I'm sure they could have done more than they did visually. But, but why do you think they I didn't? They well, it, was obviously, it was obviously a decision they took not to. Well, I think they wanted to remain faithful to the original universe. And I think they, when they had those limitations, they made a very conscious choice that they were going to go for this slightly, I guess, clean-edged world without many curves. And they just decided to retain that through rather than deciding to completely redesign the world. It'll be interesting to see, actually, uh, with the future of the franchise if they're mm. placing it on different planets if they'll go with different aesthetics then if they f will feel freed from the restrictions they gave themselves on Earth and on the Halos I've seen yeah. much of the Reach trailers because there they really have um, modified that visual style quite a bit everything looks far more detailed and looks more gritty and you know realistic it's sort of interesting why they chose to do it at, at this point. It's Bungie's last throw of the dice, isn't it, for Halo? Because after this, mm. they're, they're sort of away from Microsoft, and I think the Halo franchise and name would stay with them, and so Bungie will be yeah. off to do their new thing. Because um, you see that also reflected in the gameplay. Um, they sort of finally bitten the bullet of having different classes of player, and you have different power-ups. You, you, know, you, you choose before you enter the battlefield whether you want to have jetpack or uh, extra fast burst of speed or invisibility or a special shield um, which really changes the feel of the game um, and it's interesting they've waited until now to do that. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how Reach pans out when it's, when it's finally finished and they've got all those last touches on it and so I mean, we're out of time really. I'm going to have to wrap things up now. I really enjoyed that discussion of, of Halo. Um, in fact, it makes me want to go back and play it, and certainly it makes me want to get ready uh, for Reach. And um, for me personally, I've also not not played through ODST yet, so there's a bit of a hole in my I, in my canon. I really enjoyed it. I'm yeah. going to say that. Perhaps that's my homework. Go away and uh, play ODST, and then we'll we'll report back uh, and perhaps do a I podcast. I think my homework that. then perhaps is to take the shrink wrap off of Halo Three, <laughs> yeah. which it's had on it since what 2007 was it? Yeah, go on, John. I can't test you, John, but if Paul, if you perhaps tell me the storyline, because I played it in Japanese and had no idea what was going on. So <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the, my, problem really is, the game. <laughs> my problem is I pretty much skipped the story. Damn it. <laughs> but that's another kettle of fish, so we'll have to get into that another day. So it just remains for me to say, if you want to uh, read some reviews uh, along the same sort of lines as you've been hearing, then come and visit us at uh, www.gamepeople.co.uk. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at game underscore people, and you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash game people. We'll be back with another podcast soon. Bye-bye.